So I'll switch you guys out. Hi. And Wilma, come on in. And then I'll sneak past you after, but I'm going to pray for Wilma. And we're doing our 15 elements. And mm -hmm. this week we're doing justice revictimization. Mm -hmm. And so we're happy to have you. We're excited to hear you speak. So I'll just pray for you and then I'll get out of your way. Okay. Lord, thank you for Wilma. Thank you for her experience and wisdom. And I pray that you would speak through her on this Pentecost Sunday. Give her the words that we need to hear to understand um, how these things work and to understand um, even what's happening right now in the States. And I just pray that you'd uh, bless her and prepare us all to hear her words in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so just make sure to come into the middle okay. and I will get out of your way. It's so good to be here. It's uh, amazing. It's Pentecost Sunday and it's full of hope and it is an introduction of a system and that's what we're going to be talking about today is a system. What are the systems about? And we're talking about the justice revictimization. This was when we were going through our big pandemic as a in homicide and I was looking around me and I was trying to figure out what is going on I had never encountered some of these issues that we were encountering so I was just figuring out what is this really about and then um, I had a son and I was starting to list them and then I had a son who said to me what about the Christian answer to these things and that was when I started to think about the answer to these problems and realize that Jesus has been there ahead of us He's been there and he's been talking about these things and he has answers to all of the issues. He knew that the issues would be coming and one of them is systems. Um, it was hard for us to watch as people with who had just had their children murdered come into our group and they would be grieving as parents and they would be dealing with the offender and the and their child and they were switching between the two that we've talked about that it's even hard to grieve and then but then they went through the trial and then something drastically changed. They become they became angrier than they were at the offender. And that's when I realized there's something about the systems that is absolutely intimidating. And whether it's an organized system like the government or or church or medic or, or the medical system, there are cultural systems as well. And it's one thing to have a person as an enemy. It's totally a different thing to have an entire organization against you because it is organized, it is directed, and it always has an egocentric in that it is always self-serving. Systems are self-serving. They pretend to be for us and they do cater to us and they do try to help us, but when it comes right down to it, they will preserve themselves first. So there is something about a system that creates us a powerlessness in us that is unreal and we get worried and we can see it now happening. We can see that now that some of the other issues have been dealt with and been looked at, we are into the systems now. And it's just tough. It's just tough to, to see the disappointment in the systems. And, and how do we deal with these systems? Now, we're Christian and we're Mennonite. And so I think that I've been always been a little skeptical about trials and, and the systems to begin with. We were taught very young that the system can turn on you and... Um, and, and you know, when I look back on it, I, I realize that in some ways when we didn't know, when we hadn't gone into the trial system, it was easier for us too that when, when the trial started. And to, to realize, you know, it just doesn't... Systems can be very unfriendly and very overpowering. 
And so how do we deal with it? How do we deal with systems that are we just know are never going to be there or very rarely they do sometimes. I don't want to put it all down, but you know when it really counts, we're going to feel as if we failed. There is Jesus who said, you know what, my kingdom is not of this world. The way to think about these systems is to realize that there's two systems, and one is just as real as the other. And Jesus co 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 cooperated with the, actually brought about and worked against, and no, he didn't work against. He said, you know, just ignore it. You know, pay Caesar the taxes. Don't worry about it. Um, listen to the, the, to the law and be as law-abiding as you can and help the systems as much as we can. But when it comes right down to it, realize that they're not going to be there for us all the time. And to understand that it's not about us, it's about us helping them and not about them helping us all the time. But the kingdom of God is there for us. The kingdom is all, it's hidden, it's, it's there, it's majestic, just as majestic. And Jesus talked about it a lot, and to realize that our system of God is even more powerful than the system of this world, and it's going to be there when this is all over. It's going to help us. And as we enter into the system of God, we start to realize it works for us and everybody. It's not just about us either, but it is about us being generous to other people and creating a system of goodness rather than of selfishness. And so this is what we kind of need to work at at this point when we see the systems falling apart and being blamed and that, that rush of anger. Oh, we, we all feel it. You know, my word, do we really have to go this far? Like I just remember when in the beginning when we were playing, we were still able to fly kites with our, our granddaughter and to realize that we were looking around, can we do this? Is this dangerous? We were not doing anything criminal and yet all of a sudden we felt like criminals as if the law was against us. That's a horrible, horrible feeling. So even in the tiniest little bit, we will start to feel the systems intrude us and we'll feel this emotional anger. And so I understand the protests. I understand why they want to burn the police station down. It's part of this rush of a feeling of powerlessness and being voiceless and against something so, so horrible, so horrible that when we witness it, we just, just die inside. And in some ways, and this is the ending of it, is that both systems do require a death. Jesus died for the kingdom and asked us to be martyrs for him. And if we also adhere to the other system, we can also die in terms of our freedoms and in terms of our lives like that man did and as we watch it we realize they're they're all going to require in something something from us and it's kind of this is where the, the 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 little idiom is about which hill do you want to die on do you want to die on this on this earthly systems that isn't going is is essentially cruel and self-serving or are we going to die for the generosity of the new kingdom and live forever with God who's love us, who loves us, who understands our pain, who understands how hard it is to be discriminated against in, in, in small ways, but when a system comes at us, how powerless we feel and how ugly it, it feels. So at this time when the world is, is just generating so much anger, we can understand them, but we can say just let's let's work towards something that is good rather than contributing to this 
continuing anger against the systems and ourselves and each other. Thank you. I'll sip over and you sip. And sure. Yeah, I'll come across you. Yeah. We have to figure this out. Last time we didn't do it very well. <laughs> this is much better. <coughs> oh, it was great. Thank you. Wow, hey? Yeah. It really, this one's heartbreaking because I think it's at that right this mm. moment, right? And it's so hard to deal with. I find it amazing how we come up with these topics and, and it's almost like God is helping us to decide. <laughs> I shouldn't be surprised. <laughs> well, you know, every, every Sunday, <clears throat> as, I'm, I'm, as I'm thinking about this, I'm listening to the news and it's mm. on the news. Yep. It's, right it's there. just there, and it's just a human. It's just a human experience. I can't believe what's happening right now. Oh, I know. Oh, it just breaks <clears throat> my heart. Have you seen the video? Oh my word! You know what? I haven't wanted to watch it. I just I, I left myself to not I watch. I didn't want. I didn't want to watch it either, but I did, and I just. Uh, sometimes you can't look away. No, and yeah, mm. huge anger, right? Just how dare? Mm. But to realize, you know. This is part of the world we live in. We need to respond in love. Yeah. And how do we do that? That's not easy. No, it's not. Anyway. Well, can you pray for me? And then... Yes. Dear Lord, I just pray for Cyrus here as he is going to delve into the word. And he's so... Oh, Lord, you've spoken to him and he has words for us. And so, Lord, just help us to open our hearts so that we can mm -hmm. receive them and just give him the words and the wisdom to impart your word to us in your spirit at this beautiful moment of Pentecost. Mm -hmm. May we listen to you in a new way and be filled with your spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you, Wilma. Okay. <clears throat> so, justice re-victimization. Got to figure this out. It's not an easy topic. Um, and I've been thinking about how to approach it. And what I wanted to talk about today was um, the church kind of coming into its authority, talking about authority in the church. And so the passage that is going to be, um, t I'm going to be basing today's talk on is Matthew 16, verse 18 through 20, which is about um, the church uh, binding and loosing. And might not seem initially related to justice re-victimization, um, but hopefully I'll tie the two together well. So I'll just read it here. Uh, Matthew 16, uh, verse 18, if you have your, your Bible, I encourage you to, to grab that so that you can kind of either keep this open or at least keep a finger here in, in your Bible so that you can see um, you can see it. So I'll read it here. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you bind whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven uh, then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ okay so we have this uh, Jesus talking to Peter and telling Peter who he is and he's telling Peter you're I'm you're this rock that he's building the church and that it's there's going to be this conflict between heaven and hell and that the church is going to have this authority to, to bind and loose. And um, so that's kind of the, the foundation for today's talk. We're going to be talking about how to enter into that experience, at least one aspect of how to enter into that authority as a church, as an organization. Um, and because uh, I believe that God really wants us to more and more 
step into that as a community and I believe he's going to open that up for us more and more. Okay, so um, I'm going to start off with talking about um, us as children. Um, you'll have to just trust me as I go through this that it's all going to tie together. The When we are children, we have to rely, we have to depend, we're forced to depend on something greater than us and it's obvious we can't depend on ourselves. We can't even really fake it and it can actually be really harmful for children when they're put in a place where they are forced to pretend or to rely on themselves and we we look naturally to something when we're healthy particularly we look to something greater than us something wiser something bigger something stronger and we're totally dependent and this idea is used by Jesus um, as an example of what of what we're supposed to look like. So in Matthew 19 verse 14 it says, But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. So when he's talking, I'm going to be talking about this kingdom of heaven, right? And how we can have the kingdom of heaven. And he's saying here, Let the little children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such, to the, to the people who are like little children, to people like this, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. In Matthew 18, verse 3, it says, and, and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In Luke 18, verse 16 to 17, it says, But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Sorry, the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So there's like, and it goes on, like there's passages where Jesus is linking the power, the kingdom of heaven with this idea of being like a child, being, approaching God with that mindset. And here's one more, Matthew 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed it to the little children. They revealed them to the little children. There were things that were hidden that can only be seen if you approach God like a child. There's secrets in God's kingdom that can only be revealed to people who approach God like a child. So you, it's key to kind of getting into heaven. It's key to having the kingdom of heaven, to having authority. It's key to seeing the secrets of heaven, this mindset, this approach, this positioning of our hearts as a child is key. And um, so we really want to understand it. And I believe that um, it's really linked with justice re-victimization. It's really linked with who hurts you, who victimizes you. So um, the people who you trust the people who you depend on are the people who can hurt you most. So I'll say that again because that's really important to all of this. The degree of trust or the degree of hope or dependence that you have on something or someone is linked to the degree of that thing or person's ability to hurt you. So the more you trust, the more you hope in, the more you depend on something, the more vulnerable you are to that. And I mean, this is something that um, you can kind of see fairly quickly. If, if somebody that I don't know dies, which is happening 
all the time. Um, I'm not as hurt by that as somebody that I know. I'm, I, if I'm hurt by something, but this is the part that people don't see as much. When children get hurt, when people get hurt, or I'll just leave it with the children for now. When children get hurt, they are kind of expecting life and they come to have quickly expect life to be difficult. They are with their person that they care or that they depend on. And then when they go out, they're expecting life to be challenging. And that's the way that the relationship works. They leave the safety of their relationship with their caregiver that they have trust in, that they depend on, that they have hope in. And then they go out into the challenge, whatever that challenge is, usually hopefully controlled by that person to kind of be something that the child can manage. And then they go out, they have the challenge. And then what do they do? They come back. There's a circle there. They leave and they come back. They leave and they come back. And that's a very healthy circle. And it needs to be an appropriately timed circle. You can't have too long of a time out in the challenge. You can't always just stay with the parent. If either of those happen, if the child doesn't isn't able to get back in an appropriate amount of time, which depends on time, it depends on the significance of the challenge. If something really challenging happens, they'll come back quicker. Um, depends on age and maturity. And or if the, so if the child stays out too long, for whatever reason, if they can't get back, that's damaging. If the child will never leave because the parent is holding them or because the child is too scared to leave, that's damaging. They need to be able to go out. They need to be able to come back. It needs to happen repeatedly. And that picture is, um, that picture is this sign of, is this sign of health in, in the child. And it's a sign that you have, uh, safety with, with something. Now, what if you don't have that safe haven? What if you come back and you have more challenge? You have something that's not safe for you. Then you get really hurt. Like if you go out and you get hurt, you can come back and you can be safe. And, and the children, again, they kind of expect this. But if you go out and you get hurt and you come back and you get hurt, uh, you get more hurt. That's not expected. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And that is in my mind, almost the definition of justice re-victimization. When you come back, when you go out and you get hurt, okay, that was kind of expected. I'm expecting to get hurt, but I come back and I get hurt again. I come back to the thing that I found safe. I come back to the thing that was supposed to, that I was depending on and I get hurt again. That's justice re-victimization. So in the United States, Right now, I said before, I'll say it again, I think we're now, we just had the fifth night of protests uh, because of the death of one man. And I don't mean that to minimize it, but there's many men are dying all the time. Uh, it's a big world. Uh, many, many men die every day. Not many deaths get this kind of response. Um, we don't see this kind of reaction to most deaths, be they murder or killing or whatever kind of death it is. We don't see that response most of the time. Um, but this is kind of creating turmoil across a nation. When people are in that position of trust, there's a greater expectation. And so what happened was, so to speak, um, this per this group, the police officers were depended on, hoped on. They were put in this position of trust 
And we all kind of expect that some people are going to get hurt in the world. We expect that we're going to walk out into the world and somebody's going to hurt us at some point, particularly if it's somebody else. We usually are surprised if it's us, but like particularly somebody else, there's going to be pain out there. We know that there's murder rates and all these things. But when somebody in a position of trust, when the police do it, now you've got that extra harm and that can, that can create this feeling of lack of, of safety, lack of trust, and it creates a pain that is just greater than the original injury. It's greater than going out and getting hurt. It's so upsetting to people to feel like they can't come back to safety. There's no safe haven. There's no harbor. I expect that when I go out on the ocean, there could be a storm, but I come back and the harbor is not safe. We are built to believe that there's challenge and safety. And if the police aren't safe, all of a sudden you have a riot. All of a sudden you have protests. All of a sudden, um, it's not tolerable anymore. People can't take it anymore. And this has happened in the church. Um, there are, the church has become that thing that people come back to. It's like they go out into the world and they come back to the church. And then what happens when the church isn't okay, when the church isn't safe, all of a sudden it becomes intolerable. I can stand the fact that I go out and somebody who I don't expect to always be safe hurts me, but if I come back to the place that I depended on, that I trusted in, that I hoped in, which was the church, and it hurts me, that's not tolerable. I cannot tolerate that. And um, there's been this movement away from the organization of the church, from the church in general. And... I believe that there's like good parts to that. Um, and I believe that there's a negative part to that as well. Uh, it's complicated because, um, as we're gonna be talking about, the church has its place. Um, it has its place, but I also believe that like, this is where that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that movement towards looking to Christ alone, uh, came from because the church was hurting people. And so then they looked to Christ alone. And, and in part, I believe that that is kind of a movement of fear which isn't a great motivation, a movement towards safety um, in order to kind of put distance between the world and the church. So it's, it's this movement to get away from pain, um, which in some ways is good because we need to like look to Christ and the church isn't perfect, but it's also this invalidation of the church as God's uh, movement towards. He wants the church to become perfect. He wants the church to be in a place of authority. So it's also to go away from organized religion, to go away from the church as being this um, place that God has created is actually also uh, an act of deception. And to move away from that completely is this, um, not just deception, but I think in some cases rebellion. Um, so it's a serious thing that we need to kind of understand and look at as well. Because God is interested in systems. He likes systems. He makes systems. Uh, he likes order. Uh, he creates organization. Um, some of you are going to hate this. Some of you are going to love it. All the people out there who like their file folders and you know, filing cabinets are really going to love this. Um, some of us, you know, with the messy desk aren't. But uh, God loves order. Um, he's a planner. You can, he plans way more. I'm um, amazed at his ability to plan and to foresee and to keep things going in a certain direction. Despite lots of things being disorganized, he's able to keep things on track like no other manager uh, who's ever existed. He's so organized. 
that, and he so can see the end of the story in detail that he's able to create movies of it and show it to people in advance. This is what it will look like. We call them visions. This is what it's actually going to look like. That's how organized and particular he is. Um, he can he can create plays of it in advance. Um, that's how detailed and organized our God is. And, I mean, if anybody's tried to ever run any kind of group or things like that, it's hard to see what's going to happen in an hour or in five minutes, never mind in 2,000 years. In like, these are just astron... Like, psychologists try to predict what people are going to be like based on early experiences. It's terribly difficult to predict personality based on what's happening at age two or three or four. Terribly difficult to predict any kind of psychological reality as an adult based on that kind of time frame and development. And God can predict what's happening in societies thousands of years in advance. He's extremely organized, extremely um, set on a plan. He's also a God who's not just a planner, but he likes hierarchy. He creates things that work together and leadership and servanthood. He keeps those things in conjunction and he likes them. Sometimes we hate them, but he loves them. He created man and he made God, he made men and women over uh, animals and over the earth. In Genesis 1.26, God says, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and every creeping thing that creeps over the earth. This is why I'm an environmentalist. I, we are meant to have dominion and we are supposed to be good leaders. We are supposed to take care of these things and, and be leaders of them. It's our responsibility to take care of these things. He, he creates leadership in other situations. Hebrews 1, 14 Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? I don't understand exactly what that means in terms of like what the service is and what our relationship is. But there is this sense of hierarchy. They're, they're sent to serve us. And we need to enter into that. We need to enter into our role with angels in order to be able to move forward. If we deny hierarchy, if we deny our place... Things go badly. I actually work with, when I work with couples, doing couples therapy, one of the worst things that can happen in a couple is somebody who has this gift for leadership who won't lead because they think it's wrong or it's oppressive or something like that. And so then it just turns into this turmoil, right? Where they don't want to lead, but they actually, the other person's kind of asking them to lead. And then they, they end up leading anyway, but they do it badly after lots of trying to get the person other person to lead um, and then they just finally lead but they do it quickly and badly because they're trying not to it just turns into a big mess so it's actually better if we kind of step into our role so if we deny hierarchy if we deny planning we can't move into the realities that the church is actually supposed to walk in because God likes this stuff he likes it God wants us to develop a system wants us to organize ourselves into a thing that can actually be trusted that can actually be good in terms of leadership. And Pentecost is so exciting because this is the day when we get the authority to move into a new system, to move into a new place of leadership. And we actually get 
the keys to do that. We actually get the authority to carry out our role in the world and walk out our hierarchy, the, the, the way the church is supposed to lead and serve. Um, not in an oppressive way. It's actually supposed to be done in a way that God um, blesses and that blesses people. And you might ask how, is, how to do that. And I would say, I have no idea, which is the next part here. Um, so today's super special because it's that day when we are actually able to move into a new system. And a system that people can depend on. Oh, I missed a scripture. I really want to read it. Uh, Isaiah 9 verse 6. For, un, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. So this is Jesus. Jesus is actually pro-systems. He's in charge of one. He's, if we say he doesn't like systems, then what is he doing? He's, he's in charge of an organization, a government. He is a king. He's the king of kings. Um... And his governmental position is assured because God's a planner. Um, and there is something about his government that needs to be released on the earth. It needs to be released into people's lives. And this is where we come back to the original scripture that I'm basing today's talk on, which is Matthew 16, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charges disciples not to tell anyone. We talked about censorship a couple weeks ago, or a week ago. So, um, that, that actually happened before Pentecost. But there's, there's some things I want to emphasize in this passage. First, it's Jesus' church. So I'll go back to that part. Um... I will build my church. I will build my church. This is Jesus's government. Even within the Godhead, in the three and one, there is a hierarchy. There are set roles. There are ways that they serve each other. And this is Jesus's role. He is leader of the church. And I don't mean a church building. I mean leader of his community. He is the leader of his, of his devoted believers. He's leader of us. And so he's actually stepping into the, his role. And it's always a beautiful thing when you see something that's meant to happen, happen. It's like, oh, we've been waiting. And it's going to be so beautiful. It's going to be so beautiful. I can't think of a better word. Glorious. It's going to be so beautiful when that last stone is put into place. You know, like that feeling of like completion when Jesus is actually able to step into his role of leadership. There's, there's going to be this time when it becomes public, when he's going to step into his place in the government. And it's not like we, we get kind of jealous of leadership or we get these feelings about like, oh, another leader. But this one is going to be just like so meant to be. Um, anyway, so Jesus is meant, this is his role is going to be the leadership of the church. And, um, and he put them in charge of something. That's the other part. He already started delegating. The first thing he did was he started creating more hierarchy because he likes that. He, God could just be there on his own. He could just do everything on his own. He didn't need to make anything. But he decided to create hierarchy. He decided delegation. He, and he delegates right away. He says, you're in charge of binding and loosing. You're in charge of binding and loosing. That's your role. I'm going to give you the keys. You bind and you loose. 
Now, <clears throat> so we've been given authority. Now, when people talk about authority, especially in North America, we automatically think that we are in charge. And when we say in charge, we mean I get to make the decision. I get to, I get to think this through and I get to make the decision on how this works. That's what being in charge means, isn't it? Uh, and you might even be confused about how I can mean something else because it's so set in us that when you're in charge of something, you're the one who gets to make the decisions. Um, so it's so built into us to believe that, that that type of leadership, that it's hard to imagine anything else. And we automatically maybe start to picture yourself walking around with a set of keys, kind of being like, watch out people, because I got the keys and I get to decide how this works. And um, and it, there's a feeling of kind of fun in that, like not fun like, um, haha fun, but more like, or maybe people like that. They like that kind of satisfaction of like, I get, I'm the, I'm the big cheese. I get to like do this and I get to decide and my decisions matter and I'll finally get my say and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but let me tell you, and this is why I said before, like, what does it look like then to be the church? It's like, I don't know. Um, because we are not permitted to dictate what happens in heaven. We are not permitted to dictate. We have to work in unity with the spirit. We can't just tell the spirit what to do. In some sense, we can't just decide ourselves what the spirit is going to do. Now we have been given this authority to bind and loose. But the way that the language actually works is that we're binding what has already been bound. We're loosing what has already been loosed. That's actually the language. We're, so what's the point? Like we're loosing what's already been loosed. It's already been loosed in heaven. So basically what he's saying here is you have the authority to release what has been released. So we aren't deciding what's going to happen in the end times. It's already been written. Like it's already been planned. So you don't get to now write Revelation. It's like, oh, well, you know what? We already had one try at Revelation, but now I have the keys. So I actually get to rewrite it and decide what's actually going to happen. No, you don't get that kind of authority. The authority that you have is to release what's planned to be released in the end times. You get to open the door that has already been opened. It's been planned to be opened. It's been planned to be released. Heaven is waiting for this to be released. We are waiting for the scroll to be opened. And Jesus didn't walk up and write down the scroll. He walked up and in his authority, he unlocked the scroll and opened it. That is what happens in Revelation. These are There is a plan and he is choosing his people. There are seats beside Jesus that have already been prepared. And we he is deciding who will sit in them. There are doors that are already planning to be opened. Then he is figuring out who is going to open that door. It will happen. He is a good planner. It's going to happen. Revelation has been written. And we get to decide to partner with him to open up his plan on the earth. To be the people who actually get to release these things. And he will tell us to release them. It's kind of like, God, tell me what I am supposed to in the authority that you gave me, tell me what I am supposed to release on the earth. We do it in unity and partnership with him. Now, if you're feeling like, oh, Cyrus, that's not as fun. I wanted to decide what happened. Do you really? Do you really want to decide? Uh, let me ask you that. Like, do you, because if you're deciding something 
and God's not deciding, then there's the possibility that you're deciding something that the Holy Spirit doesn't want. And is that what you really want? You want to decide something and you get the authority without guidance from the Holy Spirit, without following his plan, and you get to decide without his input? You know what that is? That's not kingdom of heaven. Uh, that's another kingdom when you get to decide. So yes, you get to decide in order to follow him. Like I believe in free will, so don't hear me wrong here. You get to decide to partner with him, but he's not going to let you open up a door that's not supposed to be open. And if you push it and you open that door anyway, you're acting in rebellion. And that's possible. People do that. And, um, and that's a choice. But it's not, I don't think, the choice that we want to make as a church. We want to be releasing his plan. We want to be working in partnership with him in order to release what God has planned to be released. We are being positioned to create a system that people can actually depend on, a pure and spotless bride. We are being put into a position of government under the Lord Lordship of Christ. Because we can trust in him, we are going people are going to be able to trust in us to a degree, to a degree. And hopefully eventually fully um, so we can't do it on our own. We're not permitted to dictate, but we are permitted to release. And we have the authority to bind and to loose. Now I'm going to come back to the pa passage that I was reading in the beginning, which was Matthew 19, verse 14. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. So when Jesus was saying, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, he wasn't saying, you know, push out, I mean... This is what I think of when I think of somebody giving me authority. I think of like my pushing up my chest and it's like, I have authority. Have you ever like listened to a, a sermon on authority and at the end of it, it's like, you're right, I'm a Christian. You know, and you kind of walk out of there with a little bit of like your shoulders back and you're like, I'm a Christian. I have to take authority, which means I have to speak in a little bit of a deeper voice and I have to like command things, you know, and it's like you just kind of take this position physically and, and verbally and it's like, I'm going to heal. I am going to heal you, you know, and it's like, all of a sudden you have, you've taken this persona or something like that. And it's like, that's what we mean by taking authority because it's like that, like that police officer just coming in. And you usually use the example of a police officer. And when we think of police officers, we think of this kind of like, you know, the, the sunglasses that you can't see the eyes so that they look even more imposing and, and all this stuff, right? This, this paraphernalia that kind of comes with that. I'm in charge kind of attitude. Well, let me tell you what he means by authority. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. When he's saying, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and he also says to people who come to me as children, I'm going to give the kingdom of heaven, I think that there's a hint there on what he means, when who he's actually going to give this to. He's not going to give it to the person who's just going to go off on their own and do whatever they want. He's looking for people who will depend on him who will work in unity with him, who will come to him like, like a child and say, Father, Abba, what do you want? What are you saying right now? Who do you want me to release? What word can I speak to unlock the kingdom of heaven in your name? And then walks out with confidence, not barrel-chested confidence necessarily. I mean, I'm not against people who have the shoulder back loud voice, that's personality primarily. Like they can be powerful too, but it doesn't require that. 
It doesn't require a personality type. It requires dependence on the Father's voice to come to him as a child. Then you'll be given the kingdom of heaven. I'll give you another example. Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, we got children getting the kingdom of heaven, and we have the poor in spirit getting the kingdom of heaven. Poverty in spirit means like, I know who I am, which means two things. One is, I know who I am, like I know I'm a sinner, and I know this is all given to me by grace, and I know that I can't lead the church with my wisdom. That's poverty of spirit. I know who I am. It's also, I know who I am. Like, I've been given the spirit of God, and with him, I have confidence. I don't have, you know, confidence like I'm the big shot and I get to do everything that I want, but I have confidence in like, I'm going to act in the Lord, and the Lord's amazing, and I have confidence in him. I have confidence that he's going to follow through. That's poverty of spirit. I know who I am. That accuracy is poverty of spirit. And then there's a whole bunch of Beatitudes, which would be amazing to go through, and we should. But it ends with this. <clears throat> Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we got two here. The kingdom of heaven is because poverty of spirit, which is like the children. You, you get the kingdom when you come to him like a child. The second one is, the kingdom of heaven belongs to those people who are persecuted for righteousness. Now, I don't think, I, I don't know, I'm not fully, but like, I don't fully think that you get the kingdom of heaven for getting persecuted. I do think that there's something going on there where there is a certain level of righteousness. There's a certain level of following God that creates persecution and that creation then... So I do think that there's a, a thing there where there's rewards for people who are persecuted because... Anyway, I'm not, that's not the point of today. The point is the second side of that of today, which is that if you walk in the poverty of spirit along with the other Beatitudes, it's if you get the kingdom of heaven, one of the proofs of it is the ability to actually withstand persecution. That's a proof of it. It's So when he says you're going to get the kingdom of heaven because you've been persecuted, you could I believe you could also turn that around and say, people who have the kingdom of heaven are able to be persecuted and actually hold on to me. They're actually able to hold on to me. And I'll, and I'll work that in with the justice re-victimization. The people in the States, I mean, there's different re reasons to persecute, but the people who are rocked to their core by the police doing this, the people who were just had their foundations taken out from under them, they couldn't withstand the persecution because they were holding on to the government as a hope and as a dependence. They're depending on the government. Most people are. We don't want to depend on the government. Most people don't want to depend on them, but we are. We're dependent on them. That's their kingdom. That's the kingdom of earth. They're dependent on the kingdom of earth. And so when that gets rocked, it's like their parent just hit them and they can't take it. It's overwhelming for them. They're depending on the kingdom of the earth. So when he says, the people in the kingdom of heaven can withstand persecution. What he's saying is when you get hit by somebody on the earth, whoever, the government, a friend, anybody on the earth, the people who are actually seeing me as their father and are hoping in me and are hoping in, in my and are dependent on me, those people aren't being justice re-victimization at all. You can't get justice re-victimization from God. You just can't. If you're dependent on God fully, 
you're not going to be rocked by the by your parent hitting you because your parent is God. Um, and if you're getting rocked by what's happening in the government or something, that means you're depending on them. And when you see the the saints, when you see Jesus reacting to the government, he's he's in the earth. He's like he's like okay, here we go. You know, like this is going to be painful. But God's my father. I'm part of another kingdom. I'm not rocked by this. I'm, I'm not getting rocked by the thing that I'm depending on. I'm not getting persecuted by that. So if you, if you approach God like a child, if you approach God with poverty of spirit and the, and the earth hurts you, that's just part of the circle. It's like, I am with God and I have my safe haven. Then I go out and the government or whatever hurts me. Then I come back to God. That's what this is supposed to look like. Whereas for other people, for people not in the kingdom of God, it's like, I'm with the police and I feel good. You know, the police protect me or the government protects me. And then I go into the world and I get hurt. And then I come back to the police and I'm okay. And then all of a sudden the police do this. And it's like, I can't take this. I don't have a safe haven. I don't have a place I can hide. And so now I'm complete. I can't, I can't stand the persecution. I can't take this anymore. They, they're not in God's design. They're supposed to be dependent on God, not on the government. They're supposed to have God as their safe haven. And if you have God as your safe haven, you can't be re-victimized. You can only be victimized, and then you can come back to God as a place of safety. So we, as believers, need to be continually repenting of our dependence on the, on the kingdom of earth. And it's so easy to slip into, because it's right there. And we often don't realize how dependent we are, how much hope we've put in to the kingdom of earth until it's actually shaken. And then it's like, oh my goodness, this is painful. And then it's like, oh right, I, my kingdom's not actually shaken. And you have to declare that over yourself. Like my kingdom is not actually shaken because I am dependent on God. And you have to, it's your signal to return. And for many people, unfortunately, they've gone so far into the kingdom of the earth that when it's shaken, when things are shaken, they aren't going to return to the Lord because they don't have anything left there. And they're just going to get angry and they're going to feel like God's abandoned them when really they've become dependent on the kingdom of the earth. And they'll slip into that. So we need, to, we need to focus on and repent and say, Lord, we are not dependent on this earth. The earth is not our safe place. The police are not our safe place. The government is not our safe place. Vaccines are not our safe place. These are not our safe places. You are our safe place. We're going to walk into the world and we're going to get persecuted. But a sign that we have the kingdom of heaven in us is that we get persecuted for our righteousness and we can continue to feel safe inside we have a part of ourselves the the ourselves are dependent on the lord so i started with talking about how when you're born the way we operate is to be dependent on something greater than ourselves and we are born to go out into the world and face challenges and come back to a safe place and then we're healthy we can face many challenges as long as we can do that circle and what happens is we get really hurt when we go out and get challenged and face trouble and then we come back and we get challenged again. That's justice re-victimization. It's just a terrible thing when there's no safe place, when there's no safe place for you anymore. And that's why there's rioting right now. That's why it's because there's no safe place. It's like they go out into the world and it's hard and then they come back to the government and the government hurts them and they're like, I need a safe place. I need a place that is safe for me. And God didn't come to destroy authority, to take out organizations. He came to fulfill it. He came to create the perfect organization, the perfect plan. 
And he wants us to release that plan, to release the kingdom. He's given us the authority, but we don't do it alone. We do it because we're con- we are connected with him. We don't have the wisdom to release, release the kingdom of heaven. We have to be looking to him and continually looking to him as a child to release this because children get the kingdom of heaven. Children release this. Poverty of spirit releases this. We can have confidence in the Lord. And that's what that means. And this will bring me two things. One, we'll release the kingdom of heaven. And then as we do that, we will get such backlash. We will get jealousy and all these things that will come and hurt us. And we'll have water poured on us. And we will be persecuted. People will try to come at us and discourage us. They'll try to control us first. Then they'll uh, try to take over. And then eventually they'll try to kill us. And we will be, the sign that we are actually operating in the kingdom of heaven is that we will endure this and maintain our loyalty to God. And we won't be just, we'll be victimized, but not justice re victim. We're not going to be hurt by the person who's actually safe. Because God's going to, we're actually going to be in the kingdom of God. We're going to be in the kingdom of heaven. And so we'll be okay. We won't be overwhelmed by everything.